Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In just a couple minutes, dealer's choice. I think it's the most talkable topic of the day. And 1035, we're going to talk about something that many of us, big prim- uh, it's something that's important to many of us, beer. <laughs> and something that's something that is going on in this state that is getting the attention of people from all over the world, and it raises this kind of larger issue. Hey, there's um, one of the things that you can expect in the next, I think, week or so is that Donald Trump will be announcing his nominee to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. As everybody knows, there has been a a vacancy. Um, on the Supreme Court since the untimely death of Justice Scalia last year. And you're familiar, uh, Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland to fill the role. Republicans said, nope, we're going to we're going to wait it out. And I actually admit, I thought that was kind of a risky strategy because Merrick Garland was, while, while not a conservative, he was much more moderate than whoever Hillary Clinton would have nominated. And again, I admit to being wrong. I think, you know, I, I got sucked in by the polls. I believe that there was a good chance, at least for a while, that the Republicans were going to lose control of the U.S. Senate and that Hillary Clinton was going to get elected. And from the perspective of a conservative Supreme Court, it would have been a disaster, a disaster for Hillary Clinton to be able to make appointments. So, I mean, I was saying you know, tactically, especially if Hillary Clinton had won, it might have been in the interest of the Republicans, while they still control the Senate, to you know appoint Garland. Well, I, I was wrong on that, because Donald Trump won, Republicans control the, the U.S. Senate, and whatever you think about Trump one way or the other, there's no question that the nominee that he puts forward to the Supreme Court is going to be a lot more conservative than whoever Hillary Clinton's nominee would be. So that's that's one thing that I think we can all agree on. Anyhow, the uh, that name is going to come out relatively soon, I, I would say in the next week or so. And there's, up until now, there's been two names that have been floated uh, around as being leading candidates. One was Judge William Pryor of Alabama, who's on the United States Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit, based out of a- Atlanta. And, of course, uh, Judge Pryor... Jeff Sessions, who's going to be the attorney general, has close ties to him. And so that was one of the names that was being floated around. The The other name on the very short list was um, my friend Diane Sykes and Diane, former wife of Charlie Sykes. I actually met I knew not Diane before I knew Charlie. Diane was a law. When I was in the U.S. attorney's office, Diane was a law clerk for the late federal judge Terrence Evans. And I, I watched her career with great interest. She went from being a law clerk to Judge Evans, to uh, the Milwaukee County Circuit Court. She was elected to the state Supreme Court, and then she was appointed to the Seventh Cir- United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, where she serves. She is incredibly distinguished. And, and I've said this before. I, I would, if Donald Trump selected Diane Sykes, he could go a lot farther and do a lot worse. I think she'd be somebody that's eminently confirmable. I think she would do a great job. I consider her to be like a, a brilliant jurist. And, and I think, you know, the, the fact that she's female would, would not hurt just, you know, getting through Congress. I mean, the, the thinking was that uh, William Pryor of Alabama had an edge. Like I say, he was a protege of Jeff Sessions. Um, 
He, he's an outspoken critic of abortion rights and, and gay rights. He described Roe versus Wade as the worst abomination in the history of constitutional law. And um, he also, even though th- that would have set liberals' hair on fire, um, I, I think he would have been popular. But again, controversial. It would have been a bruising fight. But a lot of people were thinking it's either going to be Judge Sykes, who would be an outstanding choice, or you know Judge Pryor, who I think would be a very good choice. But the reports are now that the, <clears throat> the, the big drawback— I almost I hate to say this, but I, I just the, the thing that I think the the biggest thing going against Diane Sykes, who again I think is brilliant, who I consider to be a friend, is the fact that she's fifty eight years old. Now I understand that is that is young. <laughs> okay, fifty eight is the new thirty eight. But when when presidents consider federal appointments, they are thinking about their legacies, and they are looking for people who are going to be there for decades and decades and decades. And of course, we, we never know, we never know what life has in store for us. I believe me, I, I get that. We never know what life has in store for us. But generally speaking, if you can find, you know, if, if you're making a Supreme Court appointment and you find two equally qualified people that are equally appealing and equally confirmable, and one is 49 and one is 59, you, you know, presidents tend to go with the younger person because looking at mortality tables, that means the person's going to be there. Maybe they're going to have more time. And that's what you're, you're looking for in those appointments. In any event, um, a new name appears to be emerging. L.A. Times has a big story. Judge Neil Gorsuch. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, he He's apparently emerging as, that they think, the, the leading candidate. He currently serves on the U.S. Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals in Denver. He was a law clerk for Justice Byron White um, and Justice Anthony Kennedy. He served in the Justice Department under George Bush. He's seen as a, as a jurist who has strong academic credentials, um, and is pretty much a strict constitutionalist, as was Scalia. They're also saying that, you know, he he's seen as somebody who could be easily confirmed. Now, I don't know if anybody's going to be easily confirmed in this environment, but um, he he was a nominee by President Bush to the appellate court in 2006, and it was not controversial at all. He, he won confirmation on a, a voice vote. And so the argument is, if you've been confirmed already, and in this case you were confirmed on a voice vote, you were not controversial. When you were, you know, put in 2006, when you were nominated to the appellate court, and even though it's different, of course, in the Supreme Court, but if you weren't controversial then, why are you controversial now? It's not like, for example, what's going on with Jeff Sessions, who's nominated to be the attorney general, who was shot down in 1986 for federal judgeship. So all sorts of people are digging that out, saying, well, how can you make him attorney general? Because 30 years ago, he, he couldn't even, you know, we, we wouldn't put him on the federal bench because of this. No such baggage there. So it's going to be interesting. That nomination, whoever it is, the, the name will be coming out relatively soon. If it is Judge Diane Sykes, I could not be happier. She would be outstanding. But some of these other choices would be very good as well. Coming up, dealer's choice, Scott Walker under fire again. What's new? Stick around. 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten eighteen, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. During this segment of the program yesterday, we were joined by Governor Scott Walker, who made good on what he talked about in the State of the State Address, his desire to um, reform 
continue the idea, the Wisconsin experiment, continue what what Governor uh, Thompson started a number of years ago by trying to use Wisconsin essentially as a laboratory when it comes to entitlements and welfare programs. And the idea of, I mean, the phrase that the governor uses is, is you know, he, he wants he wants the welfare programs to be a safety net, not, um, you know, not a hammock. He wants it to be a trampoline. His vision is we want to get Wisconsin working and we want to end generational poverty. And one of the ways we do that is by getting people to work. Now, one of the initiatives that Wisconsin has had in effect for last couple years is the idea that if you are receiving benefits, if you are receiving, for example, food share benefits and you do not have children, so this is just for Adults, so there's no child care issues or anything like that. The requirement is that if you're an able-bodied adult without children, there are requirements that say in order to continue to receive benefits, what you need to do is either work 80 hours a month, so 20 hours a week, or receive some form of basic job training. So the idea is you, you have to be trying to do something to get yourself, to better yourself, to get yourself off off the dole, um, or you you have to be working. And right now, that just applies to, again, able-bodied adults without children. Since that went into effect, they estimate that about twenty one thousand able-bodied food share participants in the state uh, have found work. Okay, so 21,000. They also estimate that it means about 64,000 state residents um, have lost their federally funded benefits. But the idea is we want you to continue to be swimming ahead. We want you to be moving to improve yourself. Well, as part of the budget, what Governor Walker is talking about doing is expanding this requirement um, to parents with children between the ages of 6 and 18. So in other words, saying to, you know, everybody that, you know, if you want to continue to receive food share benefits, you're going to have to you're going to have to work or you're going to be have to be in some form of job training. Now, the devil is in the details. One of the things that they're talking about is if they pull if, if you've got dependent children and you don't meet the work requirements, they will not pull the benefits as it applies to the kids. So it would be presumably a reduction in benefits. And, of course, that has a lot of the usual suspects screaming. But his idea is we, we don't want people permanently part of these programs. And, and we want you to either work or we want you in job training. The question I asked the governor yesterday is, Governor, this is fine to talk about, but in the real world, are there jobs that, that people can do? Because it's fine to say we want you to work or, you know, we want you to be in some sort of training to lead to work. But if at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the road, there's not a job for somebody to go into, well, it doesn't make any sense. You know, there, there needs to be jobs. And he was adamant that, yeah, that there, there are jobs that people can do. We want to get people working. Now, predictably, the left is screaming. This is Scott Walker's war on the poor. This is terrible. You know, you're going to be taking away, you know, uh, food for from people who need it. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Is it unreasonable to expect able-bodied people 
who are currently receiving benefits to be either in a job or in some sort of job training, not full-time, and we're talking 80 hours a month, not full-time, but in some sort of either job training or, you know, working in some job as a condition of keeping their benefits. Is this cruel to, to the poor, or is this, well, maybe big picture, one of the best things you can do by, again, forcing people to, to go out and to try to do something with their lives that might get them out of the cycle of government dependency. 414-799-1620 is the number. 1023, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, one of the big initiatives that Governor Walker is going to be pushing as part of the budget is expanding these work requirements that currently exist for able-bodied adults to stay on food share. Um, He's going to expand that to now adults that have children. And the way the program is supposed to work is if the adult fails to comply, that won't totally deprive, that won't cause all the benefits to go away, but it would, I assume, cause a reduction. Dave in Appleton. Dave, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. I I agree with Governor Walker 100% that there are jobs everywhere. I drive from my my job. I work outside, and I'm around everywhere. And, I mean, every quick trip I go into has got a help wanted sign. There's dollar stores that have help wanted sign. Yes, these are not, you know, $20 an hour jobs, but the problem with the welfare states is that they do get too much money because, Okay, quick trip is going to start you at, say, $11 an hour. Well, I'm getting the comparable of $13 an hour to sit home and do nothing. Well, it's just an economic choice at that point. I don't have to do anything, and I'm making more money than if I went out and actually found a job. Well, you know, I talked about, in a, in a sort of different context, I talked about this when, with the governor yesterday. But back when you had the, the unemployment benefits that kept getting extended and extended when we had the high unemployment rates, what they found, not, not every, and I'm not saying everybody was a malingerer, but what they found is there was a segment of people out there who would make exactly that point. It was like, well, I can make X amount of dollars on unemployment comp, um, and I can make uh, a little bit more if I take a, a job, but then I got to pay taxes on it, and then I got to go to work. So, you know, what would happen is there was a percentage of people who waited till they were getting ready to run out of benefits, then they ran out and they found the job. But, but it's that same principle you're talking about. You've got to give people an incentive to look for work or go to work, and and unfortunately, we don't do that a lot now. Well, exactly, and it's, you know, you, like you said, you, you factor in. Okay, I gotta have gas, or I maybe even have to buy a car now to go to work, or I gotta or pay, or I gotta pay taxes. Plus, I gotta get yeah. up in the morning. I mean, yeah. you know, no. and and look, that that's not everybody, but it is the reality. I mean, thanks for call, Dave. But but here's the bottom line: you, you've got to. You've got to, I think, if people are going to better themselves, you've got to get them working. Now, again, my biggest question about this entire plan is, are there going to be jobs? You know, are, and are, are there going to be jobs that you're going to be able to match the people up with? Because like I say, if you can require this and somebody comes out and in good faith they're looking for a job but they can't find anything, well, okay, that, that doesn't help them. But, I mean, I know the governor and I know people I like a lot, like State Senator Alberta Darling, are convinced that there are jobs that people can find and will be able to find. And and 21,000 people, able-bodied adults without children, they have, in fact, apparently been able to transition, transition, into, transition into work. Let's talk to Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I'm well, thank you, sir. Thanks for calling. What's up? Um, like what the previous caller said, there's jobs all over the place. Now, I'm a, I think that the food share, also the state disability system, is all in the same soup bowl. Now, I, can, I know of a couple people, not mentioning any names, that are on state disability that can clean their house, take care of five dogs, shovel their driveway, <laughs> walk in and out of stores, go to Walmart, do whatever they want, and go to the casino. Okay. <laughs> and I'm a construction worker. I work all the, all the elements year-round, and I pay for this. Right. And I don't think it's fair, and I don't think it should be, um, I think it should be mandatory that they have to follow some type of program in order to receive the benefit or meet a qualification for it. You know what I mean? No, I do. And thanks. I mean, I think one, and again, I, I don't, I, I, I know a lot about the food share program and the people transitioning in and out. I, I Again, I don't want to get beyond my depth when we're talking about whether there's abuse of the disability program. But I, I think as a general policy, to the extent you have able-bodied people and you can do everything you possibly can to make them work at, or train them so they can work. And that's, I mean, that's the other thing. You have to have meaningful job training. I mean, if, if you have somebody that dropped out of high school at the age of 16 and they're now 30 years old and they can't read and they can't do basic math skills, all right, you, you've got to train them so that they can end up doing something. So that if you're going to make this work, you have to figure out how to you know educate people or give them some specific job training so that they can take advantage of what's out there. And there has to be something that's out there. But assuming you can get past those two things, I, I think you, you got to do it. And I would extend that to other programs as well. You've got to end a cycle and a culture of dependency on entitlement programs. And I think the devil is in the detail, but this might be a good start. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 37 degrees outside. And I tell you, I'm listening to the forecast, and I understand we all want to see the sun, and it's a little bit dreary and things like that. But the truth of the matter is, I will take 37 and dreary with a little bit of a rain-snow mix in the third or fourth week of January to 10 degrees below zero and you know, two feet of snow. Now, I still believe we're probably you know going to see a return of winter. At some point in time, and we're obviously going to get some more snow, and we're probably going to get a little bit more cold weather, but it's already, what, January 23rd, January 24th, whatever. We're moving, we are moving closer to to spring, you know, pitchers and catchers reporting and things like that, and every day we go by with 37 degrees, and again, that's one day closer to spring, and for somebody who's not really enthralled with winter weather, that's a, that is a good thought. It's Oscar time. There's a big Wisconsin connection to one of the most buzzed-about movies of the year. Could one of our own walk away with the coveted gold trophy? Get the story on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 3.50 today. All right. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I am... I don't consider myself to be a beer snob, but I, I'm into this craft types of beer. Um, between my the, the two people I am, the, the two males I am closest to in my life are my brother and my my friend Evan. And my friend, my best friend Evan, um, is he? I am his wingman when it comes to beer. The guy has, and always has had, an encyclopedic knowledge of beer. It just it is just absolutely amazing, and with the explosion of of craft beers, there, there's no better best friend to have than Evan because he he's the guy that that look he knows what my tastes are. He's the guy that haunts the various liquor stores. He's the guy that keeps up with the beer tastings. He's the guy that keeps up on the stuff. Hey, I think you'll like this or whatever, and then he tells me about it, and I get to go with him. You know, so it, it's the it's the best of it's the best of all worlds. You know, because he he sorts through a lot of the stuff that I might not otherwise do, and comes up with the great thing. 
things. And so it's really been a pleasure to see this this craft beer renaissance that's going on. Now, I was thinking about this because there's a story in, in the Journal Sentinel written by my friend Kathy Flanagan, who is is their beer writer. And, and Kathy does just a great job, and she has an encyclopedic knowledge of, of beer as well. Okay, there's, there's a brewery in Amherst, Wisconsin. Hondo, do you know where Amherst is? You had a roommate from Amherst, right? Okay, it's sort of like north central Wisconsin. It's, um, I guess, it's in Portage County, but close to Wapaka County. So, you know, think Stevens Point, that that kind of that sort of area. Um, Amherst, fifteen hundred people, actually one thousand four hundred and ninety-five people. Um, on the last weekend in January. That little town is going to nearly double in size. Now, you might say to me, Jeff, why in the world, (laughs) why in the world would people, no offense if you live in Amherst, but why in the world would people be flocking to Amherst, Wisconsin in the end of January? You know, what's going on? Well, it's because there's a craft brewery um, in, in Amherst called Central Waters. All right, and and perhaps you've you've had some of Central Water stuff. They do a really good job, but they have every year they have an anniversary celebration, and it's held on on January twenty eighth. What they do is they sell tickets to this. They sell tickets to the party they are having at the brewery. Um, two thousand two hundred fifty tickets are available. They sold out in less than thirty seconds. Less than 30 seconds to sell out 2,250 tickets. And this, I mean, people people like my buddy Evan, they know about this. They know when the tickets are going sale. That they jump on right away. Um, and the tickets are $15. But, but here's the thing. Okay, $15 gets you into the party, but it also gives you the right, quote-unquote, they have this really special beer, that um, that they that they bring out in occasion of this brewery, the beer is this special bourbon barrel aged beer. Um, you buy the ticket, you get in, you can then buy up to six bottles of this beer at fifteen dollars a bottle. So essentially, people are are going to be coming from all over the world to Amherst, Wisconsin, for the opportunity to buy six bottles of this beer at $15 a, a, a beer. Um, it's one of the, the um, you know, th- this is generally recognized as, I, I guess, one of the really good beers in the country, you know, maybe in the world. Um, so people come from all over. Now, what they are doing at Central Waters in Amherst is not unusual. I mean, they do similar sorts of things. I mean, you have these big events that they'll have at Lakefront. I think Lakefront, the day after Thanksgiving, has this big thing where they roll out, you know, one of their beers. This has become this huge thing that people travel all over the country from. Um, when, when we went to Canton, Ohio, for Favre's uh, Hall of Fame induction, on the way back, I might have told this story in the afternoon show. On the way back, my buddy Evan got us off the main road, and we drove. I thought I was in deliverance. We drove down this like back road to this little, um, little divey liquor store called. I want to say it was called Liquid Johnny's in the middle of absolutely nowhere. It was one of these types of buildings that you stand outside the store. 
And, you know, there's like no windows or whatever. All I saw was like an ad for like Redmond chewing tobacco. And I remember thinking, this is the type of place you see in the horror movies. You go into this place and you never come out. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go into this. They're going to find my body six weeks later in a basement. And they're going to say, why in God's green earth did this guy ever go into this thing? Well, the reason we went into it is it had this like special, it was like one of the only places in the country that you could get this special kind of beer that my buddy wanted. So we went in and... You know, we, we bought all the beer that they had and, and ended up bringing it back. But you've got all these craft beer aficionados that will go to Amherst, Wisconsin, or do these type of things just to chase beer. All right, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Beer drinkers of Wisconsin, beer drinkers of the upper Midwest, is this is this fad, is this, is this fascination is this here to stay, or is this just a fad? Is this just a bubble? Is this entire craft beer craze where bars set up? I mean, think of all the bars in our listening area that have started now, that now you know feature the 15 and the 20 and the 30 different types of you know craft beer. People coming from all over the country to Amherst, Wisconsin, on January 28th, simply for the opportunity to buy six... <laughs> bottles of a particular type of beer at $15 a bottle. Is this is this something that's going to have legs or is this just this fad that like the pet rock we're going to be looking at going I can't believe what people were doing in 2000, you know, 16 and 2017 with this craft beer. Is the craft beer craze here to stay? Do you understand it? Or is this just something, hey, give me my Bud Light. I can't believe people are doing this. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. 1042, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff, 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 don't you understand? You're, You're talking about thousands of people going to Amherst, Wisconsin for a craft beer thing, an explosion of craft beer. Don't you realize that Donald Trump is pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership? You know, what do you think about that? Well, I think Trump's wrong, but <laughs> that's what I think about that. But yes, for this segment of the program, we're talking about the explosion of craft beer, I, using it as a launching point. Um, Central Waters Brewery, which is an Amherst town of 1,400. Um, this weekend, you're going to have that the town is going to double in size because you, you've got 2,200 people bought tickets in 30 seconds to go to this brewery to stand in line for the privilege of buying six bottles of this special type of beer that they're putting out at $15 a bottle. Do you get this? Drew in Milwaukee. Drew, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Drew. Well, yeah, I, I would uh, totally agree with the fact that craft beer is just on the rise. Why do you think it's so popular? Well, it's been in art form since, I, I don't know, from 5,000 years ago, and now it just keeps getting more popular, and it's yeah. more of an art form now. And, and you, have, you have beers that are supposed to be aged for 10 years. You have beers that are supposed to be drank within a week. Right. You know? Right, and it's it's fun. I mean, thanks, and it's just it's just kind of fun to find them. I mean, again, I, I, my, it's my it's my buddy who who knows all this stuff, and I, I'm his wingman, and I kind of follow him around, which is the best of all worlds because he does the research. And you're going to really like this, or try that, or you know, oh, the the latest example of this came out. I bought you a six pack. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate it a lot. But that's the I mean, that's the type of stuff that that goes on. But it has been fun, just like you had wine connoisseurs. You know, you now have beer connoisseurs, and it, it just I'm thrilled to go into some of these new bars and stuff and restaurants that have opened up and see that they're basing them around this kind of craft beer craze that's there. Uh, let's talk to Don in Whitefish Bay. Don, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. Uh, uh, I'm an old-timer, so I remember when uh, my student days at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, beer all tasted the same. <laughs> right. And whether it was Schlitz, Pabst, Miller, Budweiser, Gettleman, or some that don't even exist anymore. It, it came, it came in pitchers, and you sat down at the guest house at UWM drinking it, I remember. <laughs> yep, in the student union. I, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it all tasted the same. It had the same uh, thickness, you might say, or, or and there wasn't much. There wasn't difference in flavors. Now these craft beers have all different uh, consistencies. They're dark, darker, light, and right. different different flavors. And that I think that's the uh, reason for the craft beer craze. Do you think it's here to stay, or is this going to be a fad? Oh, I think it's here to stay because just look right here in Milwaukee. There's it seems like every other week there's some little tavern in a certain neighborhood opening up, right? Uh, and the guys are making you know uh, beer with maybe the, uh, two or three uh, right. uh, brewing kettles and so on. It, it, I think it's uh, here to stay. I, right, and, and I mean, think, and it's you know, and it, it just it's again, I, I think you're right. It, it's so fun to watch, and there's these different styles. Now, I have to say that I, I'm not a fan of all. Of all styles of craft beer, and, and but but at the same time, I, I it's fun to me. I like IPAs, for example. I don't like sours. I, I in the winter I like porters and stouts and things like that. Don't like the sours. I don't pumpkin beer. I can take or leave. I, I, I know I can leave it. I mean, it, gets, it seems like around Thanksgiving, everybody's got to come out with pumpkin beer. I don't like that. But it is fun to see all these different types of things and to sit and think about how something varies, how this type of beer, how the lakefront beer varies from the Milwaukee Brewing beer, beer which varies from the Three Sheeps, which, yeah, all those type of things. And I, and I look at the grocery store. And, and I see the explosion of the different craft beers that are there and the fact that people are, are spending big money maybe some would argue stupid money, to buy different types of beer. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Hey, uh, a reference to the gas house at UWM. Right. Uh, I remember that raw. <laughs> uh, but, hey, back in my day, we had uh, Pabst, Miller, uh, Budweiser. I was happy with a PBR. Right. But I'm, I'm looking at uh, all these space. I'm going to retail a lot, retail stores a lot, and the craft beer sections are just growing and growing yep. and growing while the major brands are shrinking. Right. And um, my and analogy... It's big, and, it's, and it's big money. I mean, you look at... I, I'm embarrassed that a couple of the beers that I really like, Mike, I'm embarrassed to tell you how much <laughs> a four-pack of 16-ounce cans costs. I mean, it's really... It might yeah, be God's like way of telling of you you make too much money. But I like it, so I buy it, you know? Yeah, it's like a regular case of beer. Yes. My, my analogy for this is uh, I compare it to cosmetics. Look, look how many different shades of lipstick and perfume there are. And they keep growing. Yep. And that's the craft beer thing. Everything's just a little bit different. You go there, I don't know really what to buy. And my nephew is actually making beer, and he really makes good beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like seasonal stuff. Okay, so, so I mean, see, well, it, you know, it's, it's funny. I know that there are, now, there are now bars and grocery stores that, to talk about you know, when you know what to buy, I mean, I know that there are grocery stores that now hire People to do nothing but you know manage their, their beer inventory and and that's it. It's I, I know folks who are brewers, for example. That's the thing. You know, if you're a distributor, can you get into this chain of supermarkets or that chain of supermarkets? And of course, then in liquor stores, can you get into the cooler? You know, um, which is where you sell more than if you know if your product you know isn't cool. It, it's it's this entire industry that is developed. Do you think this is going to have legs? I think it's already got legs, and uh, people are paying. Manufacturers are. Paying a lot of money for slotting in these stores and getting in there. Yeah, oh, exactly. Because that's it, it's just 
And it, it is always fun to me to kind of uh, like go into these stores and say, okay, gee, I'm, I've been looking for this beer or that beer, or, and, and, and they've got it here. Joe in Janesville. Joe, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, I think this has definitely got legs. I mean, I am one of the supporters, almost kind of like your buddy that kind of knows the ins and outs and what's coming up where. Right. And we've actually, I've got a couple buddies that enjoy, you know, craft beer, and we've gone around and planned trips. Like, just recently went out to Grand Rapids and did, they have a whole thing out there called the Ale Trail. Right. Where you go into a bar and you get, like, a, a little stamp book, and then every time you get into a bar and have a beer, they stamp your book and... You know, at the end of the tour, you get, you know, uh, a T-shirt or something from right. <laughs> Rapids, you know, whatever. Sure. But, um, yeah, so we go all around. I mean, we've been to Chicago. We've been, you know, through Milwaukee. And you just plan, you know, eight or ten stops, get a hotel room, and head back the next day. So, I mean, I think it's good money. I think, you know, if people are putting out a good product, right. you're going to get the locals, uh, crazy people that are, you know, <laughs> willing to get in their car and drive. 300 miles to go drink beer all day you know well yeah and, and even just even even locals to sample stuff there was a um there's a bar about i i don't know there's a bar about 20 minutes from where i live and and they have different types of craft beers they had this beer on tap that I, I have never had on tap before i've had it in cans and it's almost impossible to find and they had it, they had it on tap so my buddy and i were saying okay now normally when i drive 20 miles just for for one glass of beer <laughs> you know and we right. oh they've got this so we're in the car heading up there <laughs> you know that's right. that's it's kind of like you know and, and of course lots of other people just look at us like we're we're nuts but if, if you're into it you're into it now thanks for calling I, I i just i thought this was an interesting story because i am fascinated by by tastes and trends and things like that. And this this craft beer trend, now it might be a cult. I, I, I acknowledge that. Kind of like going to Jimmy Buffett's shows, I freely acknowledge we are a cult, but we are a nice cult. This might be the same thing when it comes to like craft beer and stuff. But I mean, this is the Amherst, Wisconsin, this weekend, population 1,400. All right, there, there, there's going to be, you know, double that, essentially. That's going to more than double when people show up for this event that they have at the Central Waters Brewing. And again, this is, you know, Lakefront does this. All these other breweries do it as well. Um, this, this is for real. 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in less than 10 minutes. Was that the Grand Canyon or just a pothole? Stick around. All right. You know, if I were to give President Trump any advice, and like I say, I freely acknowledge he doesn't, he's not interested in hearing, I don't know that he's interested in hearing what anybody thinks, certainly not what I think, but at some point in time, my advice would be, let it go. Three words, just let it go. Now, I understand that he is obsessing over the the fact that some of his opponents keep saying he's not a legitimate president because he lost the popular vote. Well, we, we don't decide a president based on the popular vote. It is the Electoral College. I also think he make, thinks he makes a very good point when he says we weren't campaigning to win the popular vote. The reason he lost the popular vote is he got crushed in California, but they didn't really campaign in California. He said, you know, if we were, and I think he could make a point saying, hey, if, if this we would have run a completely different campaign if we had to win the popular vote, but we were spending resources in states like Michigan and Wisconsin and things like that because we were putting together the electoral map. And there is an element of truth to that. But the bottom line is it doesn't make any difference anyways because you, you won and you're in the Oval Office. So yesterday there's a story out there, but he continues to obsess about this. Um, apparently he meets 
congressional leaders at a reception at the White House. And rather than just talking about the future, he continues to bring up the fact that he would have won the popular vote had it been for not been for millions of illegal votes. And, of course, the word of this leaks out. You know, and he's saying three to five million illegal ballots. Now, were there probably some illegal ballots cast? Ah, Of course there were. Of course there were. Three to five million? I don't think so. But the bottom line is, you know, who cares? But anyhow, he says this. The the word leaks out, and then the headlines, Washington Post, New York Times, in meeting with congressional leaders, Trump falsely blames illegal immigrants for loss of popular vote. Washington Post, without evidence, Trump tells lawmakers three to five million illegal ballots cost him the popular vote. And, of course, then that feeds into what the mainstream media is trying to do is portray him as sort of this deranged guy that can't let stuff go. Again, let it go. Who cares? You won. Move on. Is that too much to ask? All right. Potholes, millennials, and all sorts of other stuff coming right up. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.